This morning's Bible reading is from Matthew chapter 12, reading the first 14 verses. At that time, Jesus went through the cornfields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some ears of corn and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words meant, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse him, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored. Just as sound as the other hand. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill him. Just feels like a, a bit like a dun 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 doesn't it? But the Pharisees went out and plotted how to kill the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Cliff. There's definitely a lot of drama in a lot of these passages that sometimes we do lose. It's a very ominous sign that we see there. Well, um, we are in January, so you know our, our sermon series is Vacation Verses. We're just kind of taking it easy in January, as we always do. We're going to um, pick up some bits and pieces, probably from the Gospels, in the month of January, which we've kind of been doing already, and just, you know, have some of those vacation vibes as we do it. I'm going to pray, then we're going to jump into this passage. Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, we just thank you for your word, for the way that it speaks to us. It opens our hearts and our minds to the truth of the world in which we live, to the truth of who we are as your people. Lord, we just pray today as we look at this interesting passage about an interaction between uh, Jesus the Pharisees and those there that day, Lord, that you might um, open up to us uh, a truth about um, something in our lives, an area for us in how we know you or understand you or follow you, Lord, that, uh, that you want to shape and change. Lord, I pray that you might do that for all of us today. I pray, Lord, that you might speak truthfully and clearly of your word now. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Many moons ago, when I was probably about 18, I was on a holiday in the Gold Coast. 
And uh, I was heading down towards the main drag in Gold Coast and um, I was stopped at a light crossing a road. And this, um, and this guy um, sidled up beside me and said, oh, do you know Jesus? I was young in the faith then, but I was like, oh, yeah, I know Jesus. He goes, do you believe in the Sabbath? I go, uh, yes. I wasn't quite sure where, where this was going. And he goes, oh, well, do you believe that the Sabbath must be practiced on a Saturday and must be... You know, no work should be done, including sport, including operating vehicles, or you know, including any operating any mechanical, electrical machinery, and on and on. Listening, went. I kind of went, whoa. You know, I was like, oh, I, I don't think I believe in that. He says, oh, well, this is what the Bible says, and he kind of quoted some some verses at me, and then the light went green, and off I went. <laughs> um, but as a young eighteen-year-old uh, Christian, I was kind of like. Yeah, what, well, what does it say about Sabbath? You know, I was a keen soccer player, been playing Saturday sport all my life. You know, I'd never heard it was a problem, but maybe, maybe I was wrong. And I went away over, you know, the months and the years to follow, and I, occasionally when it popped up, I asked a few of those questions to clarify. What exactly do we do with some of that Old Testament stuff, with some of those questions about Sabbath and some of those other sort of Old Testament particular laws, how do we read them and how do they apply today? We've read what I think is a really important scripture today, a really important lesson that Jesus has and teaches those who are there that day um, about Sabbath, but also about law in general. It's kind of a lesson in two parts. It takes place in two scenes, in the field and in the synagogue. And it gives us some important lessons on how it is we go about interpreting law in this new era of faith that we find ourselves in. Um, let's have a look at that start of the passage again. <clears throat> at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. This is the first part of the scene. His disciples were hungry, began to pick some heads of grain to eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. The first thing that stuck out to me was they saw them doing this. As in, like, how did they see them doing this? As they're walking through the fields, they noticed that they were picking grain and crushing it and eating it. Clearly they're watching them. Right? Clearly they've got some people following them around seeing what they're doing, seeing if there's anything that they can bring against them or anything that they can bring up against them. And the thing that they notice is that they are breaking some of the rules, the Pharisaic rules that exist around the Sabbath. The Pharisees were people who loved their rules. There was like a, a law, you know, a law of God that came from the scriptures. And around that law, they would build a bunch of rules. Um, and they had built a bunch of rules around what work was. You know, they decided what work meant. God said, don't work on the Sabbath. And they said, well, we need to define exactly what it means. And one of the things they defined as work was um, food preparation. So for them, this, this, this action of crushing the grain in their hands was, to them, a work. Now, when God said, um, rest on the Sabbath, don't work, keep it holy, I don't think he was thinking about people crushing some grain and chewing on it as they walked through a field that day. 
But the Pharisees use this as an opportunity to catch them out. Uh, And they go on in verses 3 and 6. Jesus answers, Have you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? They entered the house of God. He and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for priests. Have you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrated the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. He has these two arguments to kind of um, come back at their charge of working on the Sabbath. The first is an interesting one, if if maybe not such a great one, um, is that David and his men broke food laws when they were hungry. Um, why can't we? I guess, and the you know the 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 argument they're making is that when there is need, right? When there is need, there's this precedent of people breaking the law because of hunger. Perhaps that's not the strongest of arguments. Um, so he gives another example. He says, "Well, what about the temple? What about the temple on Sabbath? The temple priests they still do all of the things that they would do the rest of the days. They they offer the sacrifices." Um, they, they exchange the shrewbreads. They, they, they do the, the daily chores of the temple on the Sabbath. Are they not then desecrating the Sabbath every single week? The argument, of course, is that, well, the, the temple law um, supersedes the Sabbath law, right? There are some times when a law might conflict that one will supersede the other. One is seen as more important, and in that situation, the temple law is seen as being more important than the Sabbath law. The temple is greater than the Sabbath. So Jesus finishes up in that verse 6 by saying, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. He's saying, well, you see, the temple law is greater than the Sabbath law. Well, there is something here that is even greater than the temple law. He's referring to himself. A new new law, a a new era is being born, and there is one here that supersedes even the law of the temple. Uh, He goes on to quote verse 7. I think this is an important one. Um, uh, He's using a quote from uh, Hosea here. He says, "Uh, If you had known what these words meant, referring to Hosea, um, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And here is a really important teaching that it seems the Pharisees have missed. What does God say to them? He says, I require mercy, not sacrifice. What does God require of his people for them to show mercy over applying the letter of the law? The scene then changes. We go from the field. uh, We jump into the synagogue, verse 9. He goes from talking about this, this principle of, do, of uh, requiring mercy over sacrifice. And then he gives them this really practical example with the, uh, the, the, the man with a shriveled hand in the synagogue. Going from that place, he went to the synagogue. A man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? See, they've even, they've even used him as an example. This man who, who is uh, you know, disabled in discomfort, for them, he's just a way they can trip Jesus up. They don't seem to have much empathy for this man. Verse 11, he said to them, if you had a sheep and it falls in a pit on the Sabbath, would you take hold of it and lift it out? 
How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just, um, uh, completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the disciples went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Mercy over sacrifice. He says, if, if, you, if you have a sheep and it falls in a hole on the Sabbath, would you leave it there to suffer until the next day? No. You'd pull it out. You wouldn't let it suffer an extra whatever, 12 hours, because it's the Sabbath. If that's true, why would you let this man suffer any longer on the Sabbath? He's not a person more valuable to a sheep. And probably, you know, in the back of some of the people's minds who heard that, they thought, well, sometimes a person isn't more valuable than a sheep. A sheep has value. You can sell a sheep. man with a shriveled hand, what, can he, what good is he? Right? Not much value there at all. Should you leave a person to suffer on the Sabbath? No. And the intended uh, implication that Jesus is saying is, well, did God intend the Sabbath to lead to more suffering? Did God intend the Sabbath to extend the suffering of those who are hurt or harmed on the Sabbath to wait till next? No, of course he did not. What does God require? He requires mercy over sacrifice. Or another way of thinking about it, he requires love over law. You see, the law is designed specifically to reveal the character of God to all those who try to follow it. As you try and follow the law, what you're doing is actually understanding more of who God is, right? You're coming to know him through um, his laws, his rules, through how he, he teaches you to live, how he teaches you to interact with others. You are seeing this mirror reflecting back uh, upon yourself how fallen you are in comparison to God, but also you are seeing in this mirror an image of who God is. But if uh, you are in a situation where the law is painting God in a negative light, in a light that is not in line with his character, well, then you are misinterpreting the way the law should be used. See, they are using the law not to reveal the nature of God, but almost to reveal the opposite. They make God seem harsh and heartless and uncaring and only interested in, in laws and rules and sacrifices and whatever. When Jesus comes and he's saying, no, 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 the law, as you can see, actually tells us a story of a God who is love. If any application of the law paints God in a way that is unloving, you have misinterpreted that law, and you have applied it in a wrong manner. Mercy over sacrifice, love over law. Throughout history, the church has often forgotten this lesson. We've often forgotten mercy over sacrifice, love over law. There's these times when the church, uh, throughout um, you know, long, long history, but also in recent, in recent decades, um, has not been good with applying law in a way that is loving and in a way that reveals who God is. You know, it wasn't that long ago, Rick, when playing cards was thought of as, oh my gosh, highway to hell, isn't it? You just, you just, you're just straight. I don't know if people remember that. It was a bit before my time. But hearing the stories of people like, oh, 
playing cards. I remember once we were playing after, you, after church with some young adults playing some cards in the foyer, and an older person, a lovely person, came out and said, I never thought I'd see the day when you're playing cards in the foyer after church, you know? Because she was raised in an era where that was as, that was as you know, about as bad as it could have got. You know, uh, when, when the, the game Dungeons and Dragons came out, they thought they were all Satan worshippers. You know, like law, rule, they're, they're, there's these rules that we stick to and we apply them so harshly. Um, often I make the joke, the church police are out to get me. You know, I do something, oh, the church police will be knocking down my door after doing that, which is just a joke, ha, ha, ha. But once upon a time, it was kind of true. <laughs> like, there was people who, if you did the wrong thing, they would come and knock on your door and say, you know what you did. You know, you've broken these laws. Right? And there was time when the law in the church was applied terribly, did not reveal the character of a God who was love, but revealed the character of a God who was harsh and who was quite uncaring and who was quite unloving and at times very unmerciful. There's plenty of times in the church's history when they've chosen, chosen law over love. And over the years, a number of times, when I've been speaking to non-believers about church, sometimes some of the, thing, the things you get in response is, oh, I used to go to church, but. I used to go to church, but. A minister did this, or uh, someone in the church did that. You, know, you always take those conversations with a grain of salt because often people are you know, looking for excuses or looking for reasons to not, to not like church. But um, there's something in that too. Is sometimes it, people's history in their past a way someone has applied some law, some legalistic thinking has been damaging and has actually driven them from the body of Christ uh, and not brought them into it deeper. The Pharisees, they build these rules around the Sabbath, um, but the rules that they build in no way reflect the character of God. They're filled with hypocrisies, aren't they? That someone who is hungry isn't allowed to eat some grain on the Sabbath. That's not what God was intending. Um, if someone is hurt, damaged, whatever, that they should wait till the next day to be healed. That's clearly not what God had in mind. Jesus gives this other teaching in another passage where he says, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Meaning, Sabbath is a gift that is to be enjoyed. It's not a heavy chain to be hung around people's necks. It is given as a gift, but some have turned it into a burden. The Sabbath is to show us a God who cares for our well-being. You know, sometimes your doctors might say, I'm prescribing rest. That's what you need. And you say, I'll do my best, and you don't really do any rest at all. Sorry, Warren and Andrew. Um, but they prescribe rest because it's good for your well-being. And it's like God was the first to do that. He prescribed rest. He said, guys... Have a day of rest. Don't work constantly. Have a day in seven where you have a break from your work because it is good for you, right? The Sabbath is meant to reveal a God who actually cares about the welfare of his people. But instead of being a gift, the Pharisees had turned it into a weapon to hurt people with, to damage them, to publicly shame them. You who have been working on the Sabbath, you have been doing these terrible things like picking grain and eating it or fishing or whatever it might have been. Right. One of the problems with being too weighed down with law is that sometimes those who enforce it end up wielding it like a weapon. Intentionally or unintentionally, being too weighed down in 
legalistic thinking or law means um, that something that God gave us that was meant for good, that was meant to show us who he is, that was meant to help us navigate this life in a better way, something which was given out of love gets used in anger. Something that was given to help gets used to harm. It was 97, there was this book written, I'm not sure if any of you guys would would remember it. It was called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. It was written by a guy called Joshua Harris, who was a real kind of up-and-coming young evangelical. He was 21 at the time when he wrote this book, and it was a huge bestseller. And it was basically um, a guide to dating for young evangelical Christians, for young conservative Christians. And, you know, it gave a kind of a bunch of rules and lists of things to do and things not to do with how to date to find yourself a spouse. It got a lot of attention and was widely circulated. But the unintended consequence of this book was that it, it harmed as many people as it hurt because it ended up being um, a list of rules that would be used against young people who were straying outside of what the book suggested. And um, Joshua Harris himself had all of these stories of people who had been harmed by the way his book was being used against them as a weapon, right? He wrote it to help, but it was used as a weapon in the end, in some cases, that did a lot of harm. The people who were dating and navigating all of those tricky situations before you married. Um, he's, in his later times, he, in interviews, and he's, he's, he's written about it as well, um, how he regrets a lot of what he wrote. Not because it was terrible, not because it was, you know, done in malice, but just because of the unintended consequences that it had. Um, there's a lot more complicated things to his backstory that's, that's worth looking up if you're interested. But if he wrote that book again today, if he was, you know, 21 year old now and he, he knew all that he knew um, today as he did back then, he would have written a very different book. In the end was his, his point. Rules are attractive because they're simple and clear. But there is this greater principle that Jesus implies here, this greater principle that trumps all of that, which is love is greater than all. Mercy is greater than all. The principle of love over law is a principle that in general, in life, will get you pretty far. It will help you in a lot of ways. It will help you to be more like God if you are picking mercy over sacrifice and love over law in your life in a whole range of different situations. It will help you with your personal relationships with people around you. It will help you with the way you relate to people in your community and in your world. Sometimes in life there are people who have wronged you. right? They have done the wrong thing. They have treated, cheated you or mistreated you. They have hurt you in one way or another. And by the law, by the letter of the law, inverted commas, you have a right to be angry. You have a right to be upset. You have a right to want recompense of some description, whatever that might look like. Right? They have done wrong and you are in the right. And, and holding to that law would be to say, well, I'm holding on to this because this is my right to hold on to it. But... The question we should ask is, what would love say? What does love say when someone wrongs us and someone hurts us and cheats us or mistreats us? We know what love would say. Love would say, turn the other cheek. 
wouldn't it? Love would say choose forgiveness. There's times when we are right by the law, by the rules, whatever those rules might be. But there's a principle that we should choose love over law. We should choose mercy over sacrifice. I used to watch a bit of Dr. Phil. Me and Amy used to watch it. We'd like record it on the PVR, whatever, and we'd watch it when we came home from work in the, in the evening. And um, one of the things, you know, he's dealing with people relationships, you know, like children and kids and sisters and brothers and husbands and wives and all that kind of stuff. And they would all bicker and fight and he would referee, kind of, you know, if you haven't seen it. Uh, and one of the things he would often say to the people on his show is, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Because you you're right. You're right. This person's done the wrong thing. Right? They've done the wrong thing. But do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? You know, and I think what his meaning is that is, is that for you to move forward, you need to choose forgiveness and not stick by the, the, the rules, you know. That person has, by the rules, done the wrong thing, right? I'm the ref. I, I agree with you. They've done the wrong thing. But is it going to get you anywhere by making them, whatever it is, pay the penalty? Or is there a better way? Jesus gives us this principle here that I think is just so helpful when it comes to thinking about those Old Testament rules and laws and how we apply them and how we use them with each other, but also just thinking about that idea in our lives, choosing law over love. Let me ask you this question. Is there someone in your life who has wronged you in some way, shape or form? And maybe you need to forgive them. Is there somewhere, someone in your life that they have done the wrong thing and you are in the right, but you need to choose love over law? You need to choose mercy over sacrifice. Maybe it's your family member. I don't know about you, but sometimes I find family members are not good at being forgiving with one another. Like the closer people are to you, the more you want to hold a grudge more you want to compound, you know, whatever the issue is. Maybe there's someone in your family who you need to choose love over law with. Maybe it's someone in your community. Maybe it's someone in your workplace. Someone who you work with. Maybe it's a neighbour over the fence. Maybe it's one of the other parents at school. Maybe it's um, whoever it is, a colleague that just is such a headache. And all these ways makes life difficult. And you feel like you've been wronged by these people because you probably have. And you feel like you deserve an apology and you feel like um, they need to make up in whatever way, shape or form. But my question to you is, is there a way for you to choose love over law with these people? Is there a way for you to do a little bit more of what Jesus was trying to say that day, choosing mercy over sacrifice. Ben, can I invite you up? Uh, Rick, can I invite you just to, just to share and finish up? Just chatting with Paul, this should come on. <clears throat> just chatting with Paul during the week and uh, a story from my life came up I want to share with you got notes because it's still when I share this this is 
still one of those very emotive stories, but it really hits um, where Paul's taken us today. Years ago on the central, central coast, um, we were part of a church and I was involved in leadership in that church and um, I had to challenge one of the pastors quietly about something that took place. And uh, at, at a leadership meeting, he said a couple of things which humongously hurt me. And uh, those hurts stayed in my life for quite a long while. Um, one of the things he said was basically, you'll never amount to anything. You're always going to be a failure in your life. And that was said in that meeting. Maybe at that time other things were happening and it became probably part of why we came down to the city and all the beaches. But that hurt remained with me for quite a long while. I harbored anger and I realised after a while I had to choose between continuing to be angry at this man in a sense of church um, or do some, something about it. I could continue to judge that pastor or I could forgive him. Now that sounds easy, but it was one of the toughest journeys I've ever had to make in my life. I remember writing a letter and in that letter um, saying I forgive you. I forgive you for what was said and the way it was said. Dress it to him sealed it with a stand and it stayed as it was a letter sealed with a stand. It took me a while before I was actually able to post it. 